What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to it, Weekend Editions here. It's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbo. Mark Cranacki is on assignment this weekend. Hope everyone's doing all right. Lots to get to. Busy, busy week. We'll rewind with Jerry DiNardo coming up here in about 20 minutes or so. We'll hear from the coach, his thoughts on Iowa, his thoughts on Nebraska to the Big Ten. And uh, Coach DiNardo also touches on how, as a head coach at three major programs, he dealt with racial issues. So uh, we will get there with Coach DiNardo, uh, Brandon Vogel, in one hour from AleVarsity.com and Magazine. And we'll also run down the Iron Horse, Gary Sharp. Numbers to get in this morning, 466-3776-466-3776-800-825-5865. Numbers to dial in. can find us on Twitter at HaleVarsity, at ESPN Lincoln. And uh, Chris Schmidt at Schmidt underscore radio. And find Elijah at Herbal Essence on Twitter. Email Chris at HaleVarsity.com. So I had something last night. Turned out to, to have date night with the wife. A good time. Sat out on the patio for a little bit. I was hoping at some point we'll get sports back. I don't know if we'll get baseball back. But I was kind of jonesing for this time of year to be able to flip on a CWS game, right? And no College World Series, that's been beaten home this week, and it's a sad, sad situation. Uh, but I, I tried a, I shouldn't say tried, but I had a Buffalo burger for the first time in I don't know how many years, uh, but I, I am still just smiling. It's something about kind of kicking the weekend off with a good meal, and I, I, I inhaled that buffalo burger last night. I mean, it frightened my wife. She had to, uh, she's always practiced social distancing even before this COVID thing. But uh, like, keep your, your hands and arms away as I inhaled that thing, man. It was so, so, so good. I've never had a buffalo burger. Is it, is it similar to beef? Yeah, it's a little bit leaner and, and it's, it wasn't gamey. You know what I mean? People yeah. talk about, well, you know, it's a, it's a little, <laughs> no, it was, it was, just dynamite. Let's dive in to uh, some Nebraska thoughts and really good story off 24-7 sports. We'll get to the uh, top 25 rankings and, you know, where Nebraska comes in as as a top 25 team. They don't, but there's some, some argument made as to why Nebraska could. But uh, I want to kind of start off with, as you look at Nebraska's schedule, as we sit here and talk now, middle of June, I, I, as a Nebraska fan base, have you kind of dialed back the big picture look? And what I mean by that, and 
I'm as guilty as it growing up as is anybody where you go to the uh, the old garage and on the garage wall was that season Husker poster, right? And uh, sometimes it'd be in red ink, sometimes it'd be in, in blue ink, but it was never in pencil. And you'd go down and you'd, you'd predict your scores and you'd come up with, all right, uh, non-conference game, Nebraska's got UCLA, it's in Lincoln, that'll be a W. All right, you start off the big eight season, well, here's uh, either Oklahoma State or Missouri, right? Or, all right, when does Nebraska get Colorado? What's McCartney got going this season with the Buffs? And eventually you get to the end of the season, and then there's Switzer and Oklahoma. Okay, how will Oklahoma break your heart this year with Sooner Magic? And when you, when you add it all up in that red ink or that dark ink, You'd come out to about a nine and two, maybe a ten and one. I remember the uh, the scoring explosion poster my dad had, where it's got uh, Gill, Fryer, Irving, and it's like just just put them all down for wins, right? And and that's how it went, except for the Orange Bowl. Uh, you look at twenty twenty for this Nebraska football season, and let's be straight, man. We're talking like a month ago. We're not even sure there's going to be football. You had movement and a great step forward by uh, those in power to say, okay, coaches can start working in mid July with their team. So the dominoes are falling as we we spend time today with with voluntary workouts at a lot of schools right now. And if things are safe, and I know there's a, a spike that crept up with COVID at Iowa State, and, you're, and things are going nuts in Texas, and listen, and Oklahoma State's had kids test positive. I mean, it's going to happen, but how rampant and how bad is it? Um, th- does that derail? I, I, I hope not. I hope there is still a football season, it looks like, and it sounds like we'll have that. Things will get worked out with how many of you can get in to see Nebraska. But when I talk about the big picture and that schedule poster ritual, maybe you went through as a Nebraska fan or still go through as a Nebraska fan, this year feels a bit different where it's truly a one game at a time. Are you at that point where you're nothing seems or feels safe? And, and Nebraska is not at the point as a program where – Every game's losable, and they're certainly not at the point where every game's winnable. They're just not. But you have the reality of momentum, and you have the reality of, all right, can can you really get off to a good start? And I tell you what, Elijah, is as good as that first half felt for Nebraska fans in Boulder a year ago, we're out there. We're in the press box. I bump into Vogues. We'll talk with him about this in an hour. And I'm like, well, yeah, Nebraska's up 17 rip on Colorado. A lot of big plays. Defense has been lights out. Nebraska should have some more points. It should be like a 31 nothing spot. Didn't you feel that way? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's like you left a lot of points on the field. And then the second half happened. And then the fourth quarter was a score fest. And then overtime. It set a bad tone 
for the rest of the year when it came to finishing games. Now, bless Nebraska's heart, they I thought they were going to piss away the Illinois game. They found a way to come back and win that. You're not far removed from Northwestern's improbable comeback in overtime back in 18. But the Colorado game really set the tone a year ago, right, where maybe that that doubt door wasn't even unlocked, but it was cracked open for this football team. And it was kind of a bad start to things where you didn't finish the job and you had a, you had a win and it, and it didn't happen. I look at Purdue and Purdue is a team that is, is a different look, not only with their offensive weapons and is and their head coach, but they're two and0 and they've looked like a really pretty good football team even though they've been a six and seven and, and four and eight team in, in in Brahms first couple of seasons. But the Purdue game was was cataclysmic last year. It's okay. So you have the Colorado loss. It gets you sideways to start things off, and then you get into Big Ten play where, all right, can, can you kind of regather yourself, and then the Purdue game happens, right, where you're up double digits, insert foot and mouth, and it's 31-27, and, and, and you lose to that team with their third-string quarterback. And, by the way, the guy was not fast or mobile, but he ran for enough yards to screw your defense over. Uh, I look at – this season, and I look at each game is kind of its own season, and that sounds very dramatic, but really I think a lot of Nebraska fans have zoomed out far enough to go big picture. Let's really, truly be boring and take it one game at a time. I think I think that's a fair feeling, and I think that's a fair thought that a lot of Nebraska fans have going into 2020, not only with COVID, not only with you know how many fans will be in the stands, what's going to happen uh, with this football team not getting spring football, uh, they've not been able to do bowl practices, so you're technically 30 practices behind from your development. The other side of that coin is you feel pretty good, though, with what is coming back, what your quarterback can do, and the familiarity that, that that does truly exist within the defense. All right, you're, you're it's the first time in forever Nebraska does not have a coordinator shift or a, a scheme check. Well, or, I mean, they, they, or, they or did bring assist. Lubick. Right, well, I'm talking defensively. Okay, yeah. But 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 Lubick's even though he's new and he's coming in and he's not Walters anymore. Still the same scheme. Same scheme, mm-hmm. hand in glove type understanding with prior working relationships together with Scott Frost and Lubick. So that's not super dramatic. It's not it's not learning a new language. They, they have that language down. But I think a lot of Nebraska fans are truly going, all right, this, this first game, this Purdue game, could really set the tone. Uh, I felt that way at, at different points of Nebraska's history. I look at the Oklahoma State game in 03. You know, there was some doubt about Nebraska. Oklahoma State was supposed to be hot. Les Miles came in. How's this Bo Pelini guy going to do as defensive coordinator? Shut out a really good, not shut out, but really stymied a good offense. 17-3 to was the score. Remember the BYU game, the Hail Mary game in 2015, uh, and, and how up and down that season was. And, and just think of how that season could have been different had somebody batted a pass down 
but you got off on the wrong foot. So important for Nebraska to get off on the right foot with a win against Purdue. you got to stop a losing streak to this squad in your own division. But just for their own mental health, find a way to beat somebody that's kind of had your number and uh, get off on the right foot. Avoid that BYU moment. Avoid that, avoid that Colorado moment where it can set you up, not for failure, but absolutely set you up for, for some, some, some doubt or lack of confidence the rest of the season. I mean, what's scary when you look at this Nebraska schedule is even after that Purdue game, you don't have many games that you can look at and go, that one should be done and dusted before the end of the third. Which is you saying first half victory? Yeah, which is I, don't, which, I don't. I hear you. Which is what you want. I mean, when you look back to the Bo Pelini teams, you could even go look at the schedule at the beginning of the year and go, okay, three of these four non-conference games should be over before the end of the third quarter. Where you look at this Nebraska schedule this year, the Purdue game should be a dogfight the whole way through. Central Michigan, you never know. You'd think when you'd hope that would probably be the one game where Nebraska should have it done and dusted before the end of the third. South Dakota State brings back talent this year. They're, good. They're a good football team. And then Cincinnati cracked the top 25 of the 24-7 top 25 mm-hmm. poll. They were in at 25. They were 11-2 and two last year, man. Yeah, it's, it's a good with schedule. A, with a coach that's coached in big-time moments. I mean, like the only game last year Nebraska had done and dusted before the end of the third really was Rutgers. And they're on the schedule this year, but they should be a better Rutgers team. Well, and, and I'll say this. That Rutgers game, I know they, they annihilated them, but, dude, that thing also was very choppy. I mean, again, back to the Colorado point where you, if you, have a lot, you have a nice lead, but you feel like it should be more. Mm-hmm. And I felt that way against Rutgers as well, mm-hmm. as I you know put on my, uh, my Fisher-Price headset to – the call plays in question, right? So, no, I mean, you, you can't really ignore how big this Purdue game is. No. We'll get into to that with uh, Vogues and, and Sharpie. But it does really set the tone, man, for the rest of the year. And there's not any games after it that really seem like that could be a, the confidence booster for the rest of the season. Well, he, you, you, get, you beat Purdue. You take care of home field. That, that sets up the season, yeah. It does. And... Then you, you feel good, and you, you kind of navigate, and then your second mile marker's Cincinnati. And then, you know, if you're asking Nebraska fans, I think they're going to say, what's, you know, what's your most important game of the year? Well, it's going to be Purdue. And then how, how wide's the gap still against a Wisconsin? you got to go to Madtown. How wide's the gap against Iowa? And you've been there. You've, you've had great comebacks, but unable to get a stop. And special teams has <laughs> been the difference in two Iowa games the last two seasons. So those are your three games. Can Nebraska go, as I talk about big picture, and, and we're, we're, can Nebraska go 3-0 and against West teams named Purdue, named Iowa, Named Wisconsin, and and I think Nebraska fans like, mm, I don't know, man. Uh, Iowa and Wisconsin, that's still a struggle. How about starting out going three and zero against Purdue, against mm-hmm. Northwestern, against Minnesota, or against Illinois? I mean, I think the expectations have been knocked down because of how tight a lot of games have been the last four or five years in conference play. You've lost to some teams. Uh, it's okay to be an elitist Nebraska fan. You never dreamed in your worst day that you'd lose to Kansas or Iowa State could tag you. And I'm talking back in the day, right? 
And there is no week off in the Big Ten with your side of the division. Coach DiNardo, we'll touch on that here in a little bit here, just how balanced the West is. But the opportunities there, it'll be different, but it'll still be a, a wonderful setting when we get there, that opening night kickoff against Purdue at Memorial Stadium. And I, I love that you get to start the game with a conference season. Uh, I mean, yeah. Who doesn't? I mean, it's it's the the both sides of it. It's fun to have the first game actually be important. What's well, one side of it is we can start the season off with the game that's actually going to matter in terms of bowl implications, um, which is crazy because you're so used to playing that that easy first non-conference game like Akron. That game wasn't played two years ago, but you know what I'm talking about. That was supposed to be the tune-up game before Colorado. There's no tune-up this year. It's straight into Purdue. It's it's terrifying. But if Nebraska can finish those first four games three and one, four and zero. Oh, Four and zero would be awesome. Three and one, I think, is pretty reasonable to ask. Then they set up the season well because when you finish with those five top twenty-five teams, you got to play like a borderline top twenty-five team to even make a bowl game. Well, and how can you, how can you stack them, right? I mean, that's that's the true mark of of any team that's really making progress. Are you are you winning games? Are you winning tight games? And are you winning consecutive games, right? Because I look at the way things close, and, and the Big Ten's notorious for it. And it's kind of beautiful. It's very, very difficult. But I've loved the, the opportunity with Nebraska as you look at their seasons in the Big Ten is, you know, yay, we have some ice. No, we don't have ice cream cake here. But it's, you know, the 10th year anniversary of the Big Ten in Nebraska. The way things have been stacked, Nebraska's always seemed to close with Minnesota Wisconsin, and Iowa. Not always, but that's how it's been stacked the last few years. And that is a major ask. And back to the depth conversation we've had a lot of times. You know, is Nebraska deep enough? And and are you worn down in November? Yes, we are. (laughs) Uh, as As a human being, before you get to the holidays and you get towards the end of the year, uh, you're limping it a lot of times to the finish. It's no different for a football team where, okay, uh, have you survived injury? Not always. Has the second team guy been good? He's probably given great effort. What's his talent gap from first team to second team? Uh, is he a liability at a important interior offensive line spot where Iowa's going to line up another All-American on you. They're going to move around Epinesa. I mean, just think about that, right? And and Nebraska was pretty healthy last year with their offensive line. But I'm excited with uh, the group that they're going to have this year and some of the other options uh, on that line, just just case in point from a position standpoint. So, no, the the Purdue game will kickstart, no doubt, what is going to be an incredibly interesting 2020 season across college football. Where does Nebraska fit into that? Let's go to the rankings real quick as well. And uh, you had uh, an an early 24-7 top 25 come out, and not a lot of surprise with Ohio State as your preseason number one. And your your one through four, Ohio State, Clemson, Bama, Georgia. Uh, Really your top eight. Very fair. A lot of SEC flavor, but a lot of returning SEC 
Power. Penn State's a fifth-ranked team. Florida six, OU seven. Notre Dame. I think they could be really good this year. Their schedule's nuts. I mean, they play Wisconsin this year. They also play Clemson this year. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and the, and they'll end up. They'll play SC. They always play SC. Mm-hmm. And the service academies are a real pain to deal with because of how fun their option game is. LSU and Whiskey and Oregon and A&M are 9 through 12. And Auburn and Texas, Okie State and SC kind of round out your mid-teens. Now, uh, a nice cluster here for the Big Ten, 17 through 20. Michigan and Minnesota, Carolina, who I think could... I wonder if Carolina delivers or if they pull a Texas. And I know Mac Brown's there, but you had uh, a really good quarterback. He's returning for Carolina. They almost beat Clemson last year. All right. And I think Max recruited at, a, at an elite level. Central Florida rounds out the top 20 and uh, 21 through 25. A, uh, I should say Arizona State, Tennessee, Utah, Vautech. In others receiving votes in this. 2020 early preseason top 25 poll. You've got Iowa and Indiana, both really good calls. Indiana's got a lot coming back, and they've got some some momentum. I mean, they went 8-5 and five and went to a bowl game for the first time in about 30 years. Iowa, we'll see how things shake out with uh, this season and the unity side of things and guys wanting to play for Coach Ferentz. If his actions can heal, I know he's trying, uh, Miami and Boise come in. Nebraska is a team that is just outside the top 25. And the reason being, some of the voters, just one vote for Nebraska to be a top 25 team, but they are very bullish on the offense. They are confident in Scott Frost's ability to coach and produce high-profile and prolific offenses. They think that having a returning quarterback and that continuity is big. It is. Do you get a healthy quarterback? Right now, yes, is the answer. Does he stay healthy with Adrian? And uh, you've seen what he can do uh, as a healthy quarterback, and you've seen what he can do with some options around him, a, a run game, a decent offensive line that has some experience back. The, this year's offense with – who's played and the number of snaps taken kind of re- resembles a little bit closer to eight, 2018 than it did 2019. And from an offensive weapon standpoint on the skill spots, you got Wandale coming back and you have the potential for some of your young pups, specifically an Omar Manning, a guy who's played college football before, to come in and try and be that Stanley Morgan type option on offense where it's not just all right the defense is paying attention to Wandale (laughs) Um, now you have a Manning uh, a Warner a Wandale and a Mills that really finished the year hot similar to what a Zigbo did in 18 and it's if you look at it from the other side from what an opponent's seeing out of Nebraska I know you you you're it's so easy to think about it oh Nebraska I'm scared of Purdue but Purdue has got to go and play Nebraska who has a Scott Frost-led offense and in the first game of the season, if it's a shootout, is your offense going to be ready to handle a shootout with Nebraska? And then if Nebraska gets that momentum going through the season, I know we like to, to temper our expectations because of what we've seen from Nebraska in the past two years. But I think when you look at this offense, it's got the potential. If it can get things going, it can keep any game this season close. You're, you're hoping. I mean, you're that's hoping, yeah. that's that. And, you know, what, what do you get from the defense? Yeah. And, hey, Jeff Brahms found found ways to, to annihilate an Ohio State team with an undermanned squad 
Uh, Rondale Moore is going to be back healthy. The other wideout that was a freshman last year, his name's escaping me. Forgive me, it's 730. Uh, but but Purdue's <laughs> damn dangerous on offense themselves. Mm-hmm. So I uh, can't wait for it. And that will absolutely set the tone for Nebraska in 2020. And uh, that is uh, no doubt going to be a, a monster ball game. And uh, we'll see if Nebraska can kind of rewrite how things go the rest of the year based on that first impression, that first opportunity. Uh, we are great to... Have you in on a weekend edition, Hale Varsity Radio, a timeout, and our rewind next with Jerry DiNardo, Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Now back with Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Back in Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Time to talk some Big Ten with Big Ten Network and the coach, Jerry DiNardo, at Jerry DiNardo on Twitter. Coach, it's been a while. How's your June going? Pretty good. Things are, uh, you know, a little inconsistent. Looks like things are getting better in certain parts of the country and uh, worse in other parts. But I think uh, living in these days, I think most people that we come in contact are very respectful and, you know, we're just all going to fight through this thing. So mm-hmm. considering the circumstances, things are going fine, Chris. Thank you. You blink and it's been 10 years, man. Commissioner Delaney and welcome to the Big Ten Nebraska. And that means the, the new frontier. As you look back at Nebraska becoming a member of the Big Ten to where we're at, now in 2020 what's been your thought here coach does it feel like 10 for the big red in uh, in the big 10 yeah it feels it, it, it feels like 10 you know i think we started the network 15 years ago and that's when i really started studying the big 10 but you know my reflections on nebraska and the big 10 i remember a couple of years ago i did end zone end zone with coach osborne and i asked him about it and so i guess that was about eight years into the big 10 and he said you know we almost had no place to go. And, and you know, the, the, the Big 12 at that time looks like we were going to lose, I think, Texas, A&M, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, to the mm-hmm. Pac-12, as crazy as that sounded. And everyone was kind of going in different directions. And, and the Big 10 was uh, not only the only option, perhaps, for Nebraska, but maybe the best option. So it was interesting to hear Coach Osborne's perspective on it because he – obviously had a lot to do with it but it, it, it does feel like 10 years of you know it certainly has been uh, an interesting move I think for both the Big Ten and, and for Nebraska it has and it started out okay I mean Nebraska was pretty highly ranked and they had had a ton of success in the Big 12, and they got to a, a Big 10 title game in year two. Some, in, I mean, you, you saw the teams. Nebraska had some really good squads. I'm thinking that 2011, 2012, 13, and, and even some impressive wins in, in 14. It's just been tough the last few years. Iowa has gotten really, really good. They've had a great five-year run. Wisconsin's been, been whacking everybody. They're extremely talented. Purdue and Coach Brown are uh, nothing to, 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 to sneeze at. And, and, of course, I look at Minnesota and what Flex got going there. Wow. I mean, they're they're hot. And, and even Lovey in Illinois. I mean, Illinois, they, they beat Wisconsin a year ago. So Lovey's recruited well and has some talent there. The West is is difficult. Uh, the Big Ten itself is, is incredible and deep and talented. And you still have Ohio State and Penn State. What did you expect from Nebraska coming in, Coach? And what do you think of where Nebraska is at now? 
Okay, so I always look at this, Chris, as there being two sides to the equation. You, you've already explained the one side. I'm glad because my answer would be too long if I had to do that. To me, the West is the most balanced division in college football. Not the best division, but the most balanced. And it's because of what you just said. You, you just gave us a very accurate, quick synopsis of everybody in the West but Nebraska. Mm-hmm. So historically, you know I go way back to... 1982 at Nebraska, at Colorado, and all that. And yeah. so, uh, for me, uh, first of all, I believe if, you have, if you've had greatness in your past, you can always have greatness in your future. Because if you had greatness in your past, that means it's so important to your culture and your institution that people won't rest until it happens again. So let's look at Nebraska as it gets into the Big Ten, right? It's leaders and legends, and they go to a championship game in their second year with Bo. And since then, you know, things have not been very good, to say the least. And here's how I see the Nebraska, and has this been a good move for, the, for Nebraska to come into the Big Ten? I don't know the answer to that because Nebraska really hasn't been uh, rocking and rolling since they've been in the Big Ten after they went to that championship game. You had the conflict with Sean Eichhoff and Bo Pelini. That was not going to work. There was passive-aggressive behavior on both sides. And if the AD and, and the head football coach or any coach are not partners in the operation, the, the sport has no chance. And so then we, 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 make, we make a change to Mike Riley. Uh, you know, things don't progress then. And now with Bill Moose and with Scott Frost, we, everyone thinks we have the right partnership. Well, we're going to find out if we have the right partnership. But only then, when Nebraska's rocking and rolling again, within this east-west breakup of the Big Ten, will we know if this has been a, a, a good marriage for Nebraska, even though Coach Osborne said they really had no choice, right? And, and so uh, the Big Ten West, the, Nebraska's already missed their first window. I mean, when they... When it was first East and West, Nebraska missed the window to dominate the West. Yeah, Wisconsin was doing very good. You know, Iowa was a good South. You know, all those mm-hmm. things. Now Minnesota's passed Wisconsin. Uh, now, you know, Illinois beats Wisconsin. So Illinois has gotten better. Purdue is a uh, really good program, and so on and so forth. So the jury's out until Nebraska starts looking like what people expected Nebraska generations ago. Remember this, Chris, just as an example. Illinois, Purdue, Northwestern, uh, who else am I missing? They all have better facilities than Nebraska. A generation ago, or two generations ago, Nebraska had the best facilities, the best student uh, uh, athlete support system as far as nutrition, as far as academics, as far as strength and conditioning. Now they're behind or on par with everybody. And so I know they're going to build a new football facility. Purdue's got a new football facility. Northwestern has a new football facility. I mean, it's, Minnesota has a new football facility. Wisconsin and Nebraska are the two that are working within pre-existing buildings. And their facilities are good. But there's nothing compared to a football-only facility. Jerry DiNardo's with us. Hail Varsity Radio at Jerry DiNardo on Twitter, Big Ten Network. The transition part, Coach, and and we'll get into some Iowa and some Spielman stuff in a second, but 
how do you have to build, man? I mean, you tell me. You 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 were in the SEC. You, you were in the Big Eight. You were also in in the Big Ten. And what do you make of of the topic of of transitioning your style and your lines of scrimmage in the Big Twelve, and then going to the Big Ten? Was that a square peg round hole, or is football football? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, not sure what you mean, Chris. Style of play, or, or... I'm talking just the the, the the from a recruiting standpoint, the body types oh. you have to go get, building the depth because that's the thing with with the Big Ten. It's it's really good and it's really deep and it's really physical and depth is is where Nebraska is trying to get caught back up uh, and and not have that gap between ones and twos and, and then the development phase to get your threes someday to be ones. Well, you know, I still think it's a line of scrimmage game. Yes. Uh, and so, I mean, I, I mean, I think that's really where it has to start. You know, I, I was reading about Penn State today. You know, Penn State, James Franklin, you know, when when he took over for Bill O'Brien, I remember having this conversation with Bill O'Brien when he took over for Joe Paterno. You know, the offensive line of Penn State just wasn't good enough mm. in, the, in, the, in the recent years, in the, in the end years of Joe Paterno and Bill O'Brien. It's taken James Franklin. He's already won a Big Ten championship in the third year. It's taken him this long to have – you know, three or five of their offensive line being really good players. So it takes so much time for a program to build an offense and a defensive line. I do think this, the, the difference in, in nowadays football than a generation ago, you don't have to be quite as physical as an offensive line if you're in the spread attack, which obviously is what sure. Scott runs. Now, you, you, to win a championship, you're going to have to be physical in the offensive line to, to win a championship in the spread. But to be competitive, you know, it's not like you're lining up in the I formation and just to be competitive and win enough games to go to a bowl game, you have to be, you know, you have to be physical if you're in the I formation. I think you could be in the spread attack with an average at best offensive lineman to become bowl eligible, which is different than a generation ago. And then, I, you know, one thing that's never changed, and you look at Ohio State, I think they proved this year and year out, you, you know, you, you've got to be really good in the defensive line hmm. to win a championship. I mean, that hasn't changed, and and so that's one of the. I think that's one of the 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 marks that you look at as the program builds. How good are they getting in the defensive line? Jerry Donardo's with us, Hale Varsity Radio, Coach. Uh, your thought on on JD Spielman heading to the transfer portal? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know JD personally enough. I don't know enough about him. I, you know, the transfer portal is part of college football now. I don't know that that JD represents anything different than any other person that's in the transfer portal. For some reason, now that that more athletes, although I don't think JDs are going to be a grad transfer, so it makes it a little harder for him. Although that rule could change probably here pretty soon that you could transfer without sitting out for a year. Yeah, I just think it's it's part of college football, and, and and not knowing JD, I don't know his reasons for transferring and all that. But you know, this is an adjustment that uh, you know coaches are going to have to make because we are right around the block from anybody leaving a program at any time, uh, one time, and not having to sit out a year. So uh, this issue, I don't I don't want to label it a problem because I don't necessarily think it's a problem. But this issue is just going to expand as we go forward. But you know, Chris, honestly, I don't know enough about J.D. to speak to his situation specifically. What about Nebraska's situation, losing a guy that put up 800 yards three straight seasons? I mean, he's the most prolific guy there is, and 
Nebraska's offense wasn't always on all four cylinders last year, but he was kind of a constant. I mean, it's a, it's a huge production loss for Nebraska. I think they've, they've recruited well with the receiver room, but these guys are unproven. You've coached. I mean, how difficult is it to, to get guys up to speed, so to speak, to, to contribute as young guys at the skill spots? You know, I, I don't think it's all that difficult. I think a lot of high schools are running the same things, especially in the perimeter as college coaches are. Uh, they're so, you know, nowadays college football players are like Olympic athletes. I mean, they do it year-round. They've got their tablets where they can watch. They, the, the learning curve is, is so much quicker. Uh, they're so much smarter. And, and so I don't ever think that, Learning an offense or a defense takes takes all that much time, and if it does, I always think, you know, do we really need a hundred plays? <laughs> do we really need fifteen coverages? You know, I, I mean, I I I don't think that is an issue in nowadays football. I think these guys learn it faster. They're, they they already have run a lot of the things in high school or JC that they're going to run in college, and I think there's. I think the coaches do a better job. I just think it's so much more scientific. We're so much better teachers now, so much so much better students, athletes are, that learning a system is not as big a deal as a lot of other things in college football. Jerry DiNardo's with us, Big Ten Network, Hale Varsity Radio. A couple minutes here, Coach, and I'll get you out. Thanks again for your time. Iowa uh, has had to uh, put Chris Doyle on leave. They've chosen to do that. Former Hawkeye players on social media chiming in about their treatment. Coach uh, Ferentz uh, speaking uh, in, in a video, um, posting on social media and also on, on ESPN. What do you make of this with, with Iowa's response and also the, the leave that's been administered to Doyle? Well, you know, I think... You know, Coach Ferris probably said it best. It's sad. It's disturbing. Uh, something has to be done. Change starts with him. Uh, and I, I think what what Iowa is going through is going to wind up being a very positive thing for Iowa. But I think if we're all listening, um, it's going to be a positive thing for everybody because I. I, I think unless we listen, unless we ask the right questions, unless the players feel comfortable sharing their thoughts, we don't make progress. And I think that's what's fi- that's what Iowa is finding out now. Things were going on in their program that they had no idea were going on. And why is that? It sounds like it was because a player didn't feel comfortable sharing his thoughts. It sounds comfortable. It sounds possible because things were said that were hurtful that the person saying them didn't realize they were hurtful. You know, Chris, I think about this a long time. And we actually went through a lot of this when I was at Colorado back in the 80s because Boulder was 99% white. We, we were recruiting mostly African-American players. And there was a guy named Dr. Will Miles uh, who was, uh, out there that helped us. In fact, I brought him to Vanderbilt with me to teach our coaches and mm. some of our people on faculty. Uh, to he, he to, so he would share his experience, and it it changed my my coaching style. And him and Bill McCartney were my two biggest influences I had ever had with coaching. And what Will Miles taught us back in Boulder in the '80s was a lot about race 
And and so I reflect on that a lot as this is going on. And I think what what I would do if I was in coaching right now, and he, he, one of the things I would do is, I believe this, Chris. I believe you and I and everybody else has a race story. And that race story starts in our homes. My dad was a New York City cop. And so race was first exposed to me, whether it was positive or negative. Now, my experience was positive. But race is exposed to children from their home, and it's a positive or negative experience. And And then you travel through life, and race plays a part. So... Uh, I went to a Catholic high school in Brooklyn, New York, that was mostly white. Then I went to Notre Dame. I have a, I have a picture of a national, our national championship team in 1973. I just counted it the other day. 140 players are in, that, in that photograph, 20 were African-American. One African-American in a, a position of authority, an assistant freshman football coach. There was no black faces as trainers no back faces as administrative, as equipment people. It was all, it was, it was mostly white. So that's my next experience, right? Then I go to Maine, right? 95% white. Then I go to Eastern Michigan, Colorado, and so on and so forth. My point is, I, I would have every player and every coach stand up in front of the team and tell their race story. Mm. Because the answers are in our race story. It's not, are you a racist? Are you not a racist? And, you, you, you know, you don't get credit for, for not being a racist, right? This, this is about how our lives were shaped about race. And it was, it was our interactions with other people, both black and white. And, and I think that's what I was going through. And I think it would be a great exercise for all of us to share Krishna, what you know? What what's your race story? Because that's probably shaped your views on race. I, you know, my ra- my my race do, my race story is pretty simple. It's it's being able to meet my cousin JD and Jeremy and my uncle Morris for the first time in my life when I was what, as far back and I as I can remember it. A, the Schmidt family Christmas, and my uncle and my my both my cousins are African American, and it. Hey man, let's let's go play some GI Joes and go play some bat. It was it was fun. I mean, my it was it was family. That was that was my race story. I mean, and, and it's been wonderful ever since with them. And that's 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 how I've been kind of shaped. Sorry to like interrupt and butt in, but no, that's that's phenomenal, Coach. I love where you're coming from with the race story. Right, it sh- it shapes you. Right, you just you just shared with us your race story, and uh, and it has shaped your views on race. And it sounds like it was a very positive it's awesome. view. But 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 what happens if it wasn't? Right. What happens if your first race story was something negative at home, where the N word was used, or derogatory comments were used? You know, what happens if that's where your baseline? Doesn't mean you can't change, but we all start with a base. We all start with a baseline, and most of us that are white start with a white baseline with very little interaction. Mm. Coach, you later. That first interaction is so important, and the first words out of our parents' mouths about it are so important, and that's just the start of it. And then from there, 
you got to you have to trace your history to see how you got where you are, whether it's a great place, a good place, or a bad place. Jerry DiNardo with us, Big Ten Network coach. Thanks for for sharing that and responding uh, about Iowa. Last thought here, real quick. Uh, I have not seen any Coach DiNardo videos of of what's for dinner. When's that going to come back? <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm actually working on it. I just. Uh, uh, I've got like four or five in the can, so I'm just waiting for the, just waiting for the right time. I'm doing some stir fry now, which I'm really excited Ooh. about. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to share that. I love that type of food. It's, it's light and it's, it's healthy, but it's so flavorful. I'm dealing with some spices and some different ingredients I've never dealt with. Uh, so that's, that's what I'm working on now. I'm, uh, I'm, of course, I'm having my meatballs and all that just to keep Staying. Sure, but, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm messing with some stir fry because I eat it at restaurants all the time, and I said, you know, as long as I'm stuck in this house for what seems to be an attorney, I'm gonna try some new different things. Coach Jerry does stir fry. Can't wait to see it. Coach, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk again. Thanks again for your time. Thank you, Chris. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Back at it, Hour 2, Weekend Edition, Hail Var City Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. Mr. Cranach is on assignment. May God have mercy on his soul. He is moving. And uh, we will get a, a rating right now from our dear friend Brandon Vogel from HailVarsity.com and Magazine Managing Editor. He is in the bunker, finishing touches on the 2020 yearbook. Now, Vogues, you're a fashion guy as well. As far as mustaches go, and the reason I bring up Keith Hernandez, the infamous Seinfeld episode where Jerry is asked to uh, to help Keith move, and he does. And Keith Hernandez's mustache on a scale of 1 to 10 is where? Uh, that's got to be a solid 7 off the top of my head. <laughs> yes, I mean. yes. It, it, it's kind of the archetypal archetypal mustache. Um, you know, I, get, I I can't think of one that's better off the top of my head, but I, I kind of want to reserve the, the 8, 9, 10 spots for, for mustaches that I'm just not thinking of yet. I, I think I think Magnum P.I. is, is probably your 10, yeah. right? Um, Keith Hernandez, his stash is well known. And those are the two. Um, Freddie Mercury stash. I mean, I Raleigh, Raleigh. Yeah, Raleigh Fingers has got to be in there somewhere. Yeah, and Raleigh, Raleigh probably, he had enough pull to, to go with the, uh, the textured look, the handlebar. And uh, who, was the, who was the defensive lineman for Nebraska a couple of years ago? Ross Zuris. Yeah, Ross, Ross did the ode to, to Raleigh, so... But no, I mean, I just Kradak right now is probably swearing to himself right now uh, as he's hauling something up or downstairs, and bless his heart, we're not there to help him. So, uh, a lot of Nebraska news to, to get into. It's been the, uh, the the week of the Big Ten, and I know we we talked about it a little bit last week. Nebraska's move into 
new territory. Vogues, if you had one bit of advice to Nebraska, if you could go back in the DeLorean, what would you tell uh, Nebraska officials? Hmm. Um, Stay? That it, <laughs> no, not that. I mean, there's, there's too much... There's too much incentive to, to just stay based on on football. I think I think I would tell them that it's going to be way tougher to beat the Iowas and Northwesterns and Michigan States of the world than you think. Um, you know, so sort of that that second group below Ohio State, Michigan, the teams, Penn State teams, kind of knew about coming in that have always been tough. Um, with the benefit of hindsight, I think you. If you, if you get to do it over again, you say to Nebraska, like, hey, everyone thinks we're going in to compete with those guys, and that's that's where we got to get to. But we need to make sure we can uh, kind of own this second tier. And, and that's knowing that um, just just how difficult I think the, the conference was going to be. Again, Nebraska was picked to win the, the, the league their first year in, so it, it wouldn't have made sense then. But 10 years on, it's, it's something Nebraska is still struggling to do. It's it's it struggled to hold its own in that tier two group. Yeah, I, I think the competition of the Big Ten really surprised a lot of Nebraska fans. Brandon Vogel's with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. Brandon, as you look at the past ten years, which has been your favorite school to watch Nebraska play, and which has been the team that you just hate watching Nebraska play? I'm not sure if it's because they beat us every <laughs> single year or if it's because they they take that style that Nebraska had in the '90s and beat us with it. But which school favorite and least favorite? Uh, good, good one. Um, so I, the Wisconsin games, even though they haven't gotten Nebraska's way, um, I, I always look forward to those. I, I look forward to going to Madison uh, when Nebraska goes up there. In terms of like sheer entertainment, the, the Northwestern series obviously has been uh, has been about as tight and as good as you you could hope if you just want to see close close football games. And I know in a lot of cases with those games, Nebraska fans didn't, um, but but they were enjoyable. Uh, the the East, I guess, is probably home to the. Yeah, I, I could take it or leave it. Uh, that Penn State trip is long. Um, Nebraska hasn't played Penn State in a while, and I know those are two kind of power programs. A lot of people probably look forward to that matchup, but it's not my favorite. Um, I've been to East Lansing a couple of times. Uh, perfectly fine in terms of uh, the, the football atmosphere. But uh, I haven't really spent much time in East Lansing outside of that. So those are probably my two least favorite matchups that, that really don't get my, uh, get my blood boiling anytime they're on the schedule. Hey, Brandon, when you look back to the Big 12 as Nebraska left, it, that was with Texas and Oklahoma in the other division, which matchup from the Big 12 or even the Big 8 do you miss watching Nebraska play? Um, really a lot of them, especially against kind of the classic Big 8 Um I mean, Oklahoma is a starting point, and we were already at a point in the Big 12 where, where that wasn't an annual occurrence. Um, but there's just, like, that was kind of, like, my era of growing up with Nebraska football. That was the game. Um, so, so that was always tough to beat. I also just kind of – these probably wouldn't be at the top of a lot of people's list, but I also just love the proximity of kind of the Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State uh, games. You know, it, it's not like there were a ton of – ton of a it wasn't a memorable game year in and year out and one of those you just threw out the records but there's something very underrated particularly as college football has become i think more of a a national sport to being able to drive a couple hours and and go watch your team play uh i I do get nostalgic for that 
Brandon Vogel's with us, HailVarsity.com and Magazine Managing Editor. Vogel, I uh, want to get your thoughts on the Purdue opener. Every opener is important. Get off on the right foot, yes. Does it seem and feel more vital this year? And we spent the first hour, I know the Colorado game wasn't the opener, but it was really the first big game of the year. And I remember talking to you and, God, what a just horrid press box in Boulder. But we're, we're sitting there at, at halftime going, this thing should be a 31 nothing spot. Instead, it's, I think, 17 or 20 to nothing. You know, Nebraska had left some points on the field, but we both felt pretty good as we're waiting in line for, for cold noodles, which, you know, whatever, at least they fed us. But... It, it ended up going sideways and I think had an effect on Nebraska the rest of the year. Similar to, to think about BYU and the Hail Mary in 15, right? I mean, do you get off on the right foot? It's such an important deal for college football teams, any team, really. But, man, Purdue's had Nebraska's number <laughs> the last two years, and who knows how many fans will be in the stands. But assuming we get the, the night game September 5th, this thing's monstrous, isn't it? This this Purdue opener. I mean, I, I think about it as kind of in the same context of, okay, uh, are, are you teetering or are you going to kind of reclaim that you're a, a superior program a la like 03 Oklahoma State, Nebraska, right? Where, where was Nebraska going to go in, in the pecking order uh, within their own side of things? I think there's a, a chance to make a statement like that for Nebraska against Purdue this year. Yeah, that weird that, that week one and, and week zero for some other teams throughout the country is going to be going to be an interesting one. I mean, back before uh, spring football, along with everything else, had been canceled. You know, you could look at that Purdue game and be like, okay, this is kind of this is kind of a tone setter. Um, that's let me. I'd like dial that back maybe a little bit from say an eight to a seven, just because I think things are going to be kind of chaotic, particularly early. What I don't think you can have happen is you can't lose the way that Nebraska lost to Colorado, which was, you know, it, it wasn't so much the loss that I think really had lasting impact for, for the Huskers last year. It was the collapse, and it was kind of like, oh, we're not past this yet. Like, in, and, you know, that's, that's a valuable lesson to learn, and maybe if you, you were to learn it this year in that Purdue game again, um, it, it, it isn't quite as, as damaging, but – it's it's hard to it's hard to think of a, a week one and, and even given all of the uncertainty of this offseason and just upheaval, uh, come out of that and be like, well, we're three years in. Nebraska still hasn't beaten Purdue. Um, Purdue still has been basically you know a 500 program, which is which is a huge improvement from where they were. Of course, it would just kind of get tough pretty pretty early for Nebraska and how they bounce back. I think. Um, would would really be key from from there, but I look at the Boilermakers. They've got one of the best players on offense in the Big Ten, maybe two of them, uh, and, and Rondale Moore and, and David Bell, and, and they've got one of the best players on defense uh, in, in George Car- Karloftis. So they've got at least two guys, like both sides of the ball, that you'd put in the top five, or at least I would. So it's gonna be that's gonna be a tough game. Brandon, it's felt like the, the past two years the Huskers have run into some teams that have bulletin board material on them. I think back two years ago, Michigan didn't like Scott Frost's comments after a UCF-Michigan game. And then last year you had uh, Indiana that didn't like Scott Frost's comments before the season about, oh, I wish we could play Indiana every single year. 
Do you think Nebraska is going to have any games this upcoming season where there's bulletin board material? I mean, I think even that first game, Nebraska's lost two straight years to Purdue. They can come out fired up for that game. Any other games on the docket where you think Nebraska could have some extra motivation? <laughs> if Indiana were on schedule again, that one would definitely be in the in the mm-hmm. category. Um, you know, uh, trying to trying to think here. I don't know if there there is a great one. You're you're right. Uh, Nebraska has has supplied a lot of that, um, and I don't think in, in, in a lot of their losses, minus that Indiana one that comes to mind, and, and the Colorado one uh, from 2018, of course, got got pretty heated in the the lead up to the 2019 game. But for the most part, I think maybe Minnesota, and that would be purely an internal thing, not via anything that Minnesota said, but just the way that Minnesota. Uh, manhandled Nebraska on a lot of fronts. I mean, that was a, that was a frustrating game for for Husker fans certainly, but you could also see it with the coaching staff. Um, so you get to the end of the season, who knows where Nebraska's at uh, win loss wise? But that one could be one that I, I think Nebraska has a little something extra for. Brandon Vogel spending some some time with us here, weekend edition, Hale Varsity Radio. Vogues, uh, on the Spielman front, um, Nebraska's going to need to help him with waivers if he wants to play ball again. And what what's your take here? And sorry to ask you to play administrator, <laughs> but I'm going to anyway. Do you think Nebraska helps J.D. all the way through if if he asks or up to a point, as in, all right, we're good to, to get you to a different program, even another Power 5 program. It just can't be in our own backyard. Yeah, I'm, I'm always pretty opposed to that, and I know it, I know it goes on. Um, like this, uh, this J.D. Spielman Nebraska football breakup has already been uh, a little bit more tense than I think you'd hope you'd you you would you would have hoped would have been the case given that you know I think a lot of people for the past three months kind of assumed this was the result. Um, so for, let let him play, let him go play where he wants. Um, yeah, you always run the risk of of a guy. You know, I mean, you know, Nebraska's going to deal with it with with Noah Vedrill. What if he goes off of that Rutgers game? It's kind of like, well, one guy certainly certainly can can change things, but. If it's if, if that's the deciding factor on, on why you're losing games, uh, it's probably an indication that the program as a whole is still trying to to get back to you to where it wants to be. Vogue's going to shift gears and uh, pretty fun thirty for thirty going on to tomorrow night. Uh, McGuire Sosa, nineteen ninety eight, the home run chase. You're a giant giant Cubs fan. Sosa is. Where's where's he at? Is he was he one of your favorite? Is he one of your favorite all time Cubs? If so, where's he on your list? Who's number one, and where's Sammy at? Yeah, I don't know if he's he's on the list somewhere, and certainly for those those Cubs teams, especially that '98 team, you know, that was able to kind of limp along into the playoffs. Like they just weren't complete. So, it, you know, kind of the best thing you had was, was Sammy Sosa hitting home runs, and it did power them to, to a pretty solid year that year. But just in the couple seasons leading up to it, it was like, all right, well, this is, this is fun. At least we get to we get watch this dude absolutely crush, ba- crush baseballs. Um, 
But when I, when I look back at it, um, you know, in terms of guys that I've, I've really loved as, as Cubs, he's probably outside the top five for sure. Um, you've got Andre Dawson is probably number two for me, maybe Sandberg third. I mean, that, it was really all the stuff from when I was a kid watching Cubs games on WGN, Mark Grace. But, but number one, no doubt, the player that I, I loved uh, at, at that era was, was Sean Dunstan, the, the shortstop <laughs> with, a, uh, with a rocket arm. And you'd tune in to WGN and, you know, some person every, every game had the shot meter That was where awesome. they would uh, just display just just display his batting average for for whatever reason. <laughs> so yeah, he he's pretty easy number one for me. You know, Vogue's the the shot o meter camera shot along the third baseline was always at two sixty three. I mean why why did that bastard yeah. not not elevate up to to three hundred ever? <laughs> why was it never bro I saw one time it was at two eighty eight Good call on on Sean Dunstan. And were you a big Hector Villanueva guy? <laughs> I got what I wanted from him um, a little bit a little bit later. Uh, Carlos Zambrano. Oh yeah, probably. I I, I I really loved him. I loved watching him hit, get up there, and, and take his take his cuts, and uh, just be like, yeah, I'm a pitcher, but uh, I'm either I'm swinging for the fences, and we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, the Jerome Walton years were pretty oh, yeah. fun too when he won Rookie of the Year. Um, so there was there was there was a good a good run there. Uh, you know, in the late eighties through the nineties. That was probably like my prime Cubs watching era, and, and the teams were occasionally decent, but uh, a lot of memorable guys. Hector Villanueva like smokes one, and Harry's losing it in the booth. Run, Hector, run. And, and and like Hector put all in Hector and Elijah Hector Villanueva was like a six. He was six foot, wasn't he? Probably not. He's a fire hydrant, right? I mean, he's he's around that five yeah. eleven, six foot, and he's and he's built like John Crock, okay? And he's a catcher, and and Hector like got a couple years with the Cubs and just would smoke the ball. But it was, as they say in Major League, it's too high. It's too high, and it would <laughs> the the outfield have to to run it down. But Hector'd stand and watch the 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 mighty swing, and like Harry Carey's losing it in the booth, telling Hector to run, run, Hector, run, and 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 homeboy legged out a triple. Vogues, I remember that like it was yesterday. Like the only triple the guy had in his career. Harry about falls out of the booth, losing it because Hector Villanueva thought he sent one on the Waveland Avenue, and I always kind of, I always kind of got to kick it. I mean, Hector like blows the tire around in second, and he just stumbles into third, and the third baseman just got the hell out of the way so he didn't get pancaked. It was one of my favorite baseball memories. I don't, I don't know why all of that reminded me of this, but now I'm going to have to get on YouTube and watch. Um, maybe remember Glenn Allen Hill's oh. home run to left field, where he just <laughs> destroyed it. Um, <laughs> may have been the hardest hit ball I've ever seen. It was a, the, the line. I wasn't there in person. The line drive, right? Where it just. It, it was a bottle rocket. I mean, it just. I know what you're talking yeah. about, where it was like a. A hanger, and he banged it, and it went left field, right, and it was just like in incoming, like the the, the bleachers scattered because it was hit so hard, and 
I don't know if did Glenn How Allen Hill use like electrical tape on his forearms because that dude was like taped up. It was brutal. Yeah, yeah. I, like I said, I don't know why he came to mind, but it just was one of those guys who's like, yeah, I'm gonna get up here and I'm gonna I'm gonna swing from the heels and. Uh, It'll be it'll be it'll be really impressive or uh, pretty forgettable most of the time. Okay, I, I just I, I kind of love those guys who are super limited. I, I just looked up Hector Villanueva and I found a picture of him. I think he's a, a notable omission from that mustache list. Did he have a stash? He did have a stash. There's always like Cheeto dust on it. So I, I mean, it was it was camouflage. <laughs> well, Sharpie, right now we're going to talk Cubs with him for a little bit too, but. No, that, the good times. It'll be fun to watch that 30 for 30 and Sosa and McGuire and, you know. Uh, Vogues, you've been just bunkered down, hunkered down with the, the yearbook. Tell folks about it, how they can get it. Yeah, so almost got it uh, off off to print. It'll, it'll go first thing Monday morning, so putting together the finishing touches on that. Um, you know, kind of a, a, a unique one um, in, in terms of uh, – writing much of it, not fully knowing like what the plan was for football, but uh, you could always still kind of preview what the Huskers look like and, and what the rest of the teams look like. So of course we've got, we've got all of that in there. Um, another good round, I think of, of feature stories to, to give you a, you know, the, the hope is this is a, 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 a issue that you can sit with for a while. Uh, you can pick up and you don't just read it cover to cover though. If you want to go ahead uh, in one sitting, it's it's something that there's enough in there that you want to keep coming back to it. Um, so got features on Wandale Robinson and DiCaprio Boodle, uh, a, a history piece from from Mike Babcock looking back at football in World War II, uh, the Big Ten, Big Twelve discussion, a great story from Derek Peterson, Jacob Padillo looking at the offensive line. So a lot in there. Uh, I'm excited for people to see it, and uh, I hope they like it. I think they'll they'll love it and phenomenal work by the Hale Varsity crew. Vogues, have a good weekend. Enjoy uh, your time and, and thanks for for what you're doing. It's fun to chat today. Yes, thank you guys. All right, Brandon Vogel with us, HaleVarsity.com and Magazine. Vogues will no doubt, I hope, if the yearbook's all finished off, get a chance to watch that thirty for thirty, and he'll uh, he'll fire up a brat and crack an old style and. Well, we'll pretend we're on a rooftop somewhere. That'd be good. That's going to be fun tomorrow night. Uh, Gary Sharp, the Iron Horse, he'll check in next. Some Nebraska thoughts, and I can't find a bigger Cub fan than, than Sharpie. He's loved the Cubs for a long time, so we'll get his take on, on some Cubdom. Hail Varsity continues. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Early to rise with Hail Varsity Radio. The voice of Husker Nation. Here's Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Weekend editions here. Hail Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Mark Cranach on assignment. Good stuff from Brandon Vogel. I have looked up Hector Villanueva, Elijah. And uh, I didn't know he only lasted three years in the majors, but you're right. The Hector Villanueva mustache is undefeated. We'll talk some Cubs with Gary Sharp right now, the Iron Horse, and for sure get into some college football. Sharpie, how's your Saturday? Uh, so far, so good. Uh, yes, Hector Villanueva, uh, who Harry Carey has a famous line about Hector Villanueva that probably you couldn't get away with it now, but Harry Carey got away with a little bit of everything. Uh, there was a game at Wrigley Field, and of course, back when the Cubs played a majority of their games at day, uh, during the day, there was a pop-up, and Villanueva, who not only was a catcher, but sometimes would play first, 
lost the ball in the sun, and Harry Carey on air said, he's from Mexico, how can he lose a ball in the sun? Well, he did, and, and and Hector's a Puerto Rican, a proud Puerto Rican, so Harry yeah. screwed up where yeah. he so, was from. So, which, which you're right, it adds to the story because, first of all, you probably shouldn't say that, Harry, and also he is not from Mexico. <laughs> no, Harry would butch, just butcher the guy's name. And I remember the at-bat like it was yesterday, I was telling Vokes about this, where Hector thought he hit one out, and he didn't, and he's got a haul the fire hydrant type body around and he, and he legged out a triple and Harry's screaming, run Hector, run. And it was, I mean, I'll never forget it. It was hilarious. I mean, Harry's just losing his mind. Run Hector. It's not out. Run. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, we'll get into some, some football, some Nebraska and some Iowa uh, with the, the 30 for 30 tomorrow night. You're a huge Cubs guy, Sharpie. You grew up around major league baseball. Uh, what what did the, the home run chase mean to you? Secondly, Vogues is on the board with his favorite Cub being Sean Dunstan. Mine is Mark Grace. I need to know who your top Cub is. Uh, all time, Ryan Sandberg. Okay, okay. Um, you know, I'm I'm, I'm an old I'm an old head, but uh, I loved Ryan Sandberg when he came to the Cubs. I, I, I always start. I followed the Cubs from the start. I mean, they're my favorite team. Mm-hmm. Um, one, because of WGN. you come home from school and the Cubs would be on. And then I loved Ryan Sandberg. Uh, but Dunstan and Mark Grace, they're not a, a bad choice. Uh, those are all old Cubs. We need some new Cubs. Um, <laughs> so, the, uh, you know, you think about baseball, and it's kind of interesting where baseball is now. On my show yesterday, the, the director of the 30 for 30 was on, and he's actually he's a Cardinal fan, and he's had this project for a while and it got moved up. It was supposed to be in the fall is when this was going to air. But because of COVID and ESPN wanting to move up their 30 for 30s, he got moved all the way from the fall to this Sunday night. And he actually just, just recently got it done. Mm. Um, but I'm looking forward to it because I remember that, that year. You know, 94, 95 was a bad time in baseball, and people drifted away from baseball. And Sosa and McGuire brought everybody back. Now, you had a, you had a feeling that, those bodies should not be playing baseball and there's something going on here, but you just rode the wave and you enjoyed it before all the steroid stuff happened. Um, and I remember as, as Sosa had a great, I think it was June where he put his name in the race to, you know, possibly set a record. You, you didn't miss any at bats. You found a way to watch Sosa and McGuire every time they were at the plate. Or if you went somewhere, you said, Hey, did I miss any home runs? I remember when McGuire hit his, um, record breaker, I was at the Nebraska State Fair and just kind of walking through some displays, and there was a TV, and it was crowded because they had the, the, the Cardinal game on to watch it. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I, I think there's – I've already – and I've, 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 I saw it last week. They sent us a, a pre-copy. Ooh. There is a great scene, guys, in it. Um, so this is done in 98. And uh, first of all, Sammy Sosa doesn't look anything like Sammy Sosa in 98, trust me. Um, McGuire is not as big, but there is a scene that I think is really, really powerful is McGuire hits home run at Bush stadium and he's running around the bases and the whole stadium is going crazy. And then all of a sudden the camera pans to the outfield. And this night the Cardinals were playing the giants and Barry Bonds is standing in the outfield with his arms crossed with this disgusted look on his face as McGuire is rounding the bases. I I thought, Oh, wow. Who would have, who would have known at that moment, 
uh, three years later, it would be Bonds that would be breaking the record. But also, while McGuire looked huge, and he did in 98, Bonds, when you see this scene, uh, he looks really, really skinny like he did in the 90s. You know what? And that's the point. The jealousy spurred on more usage, right? And Bonds is like, bro, I've got – Bonds had like three MVPs by then. And and he was – Oh, he was, a, he was the player of the 90s, but yeah. it was McGuire and Sosa that were getting all this attention. Uh-huh. And guess what? He's like, well, I'll show you as he hits mm-hmm. 370 and 70 bombs. <laughs> you know, Gary Sharps with his sale of RC Radio. I'll to jump in here. Yeah, Gary, when you look at that era, how much is it tainted in your memory by the PED use? You kind of have to, to understand how big a factor it was in this home run chase and in this whole era. But does it take away from the fun that you had watching baseball back in 98? Well, uh, a little bit it does. I mean, it, it's, it's purely tainted. Uh, but then you could say, well, everybody was doing it. Well, Ken Griffey Jr., who also had a really good 98, he was not, doing, right. he was not taking PEDs. Um, it was something baseball needed at the time because it brought people back into baseball. People were talking about baseball. Uh, it's always going to have that big asterisk next to it and a stain on the game. Um, but taking PEDs compared to gambling on baseball, I think are completely different. But I, I enjoyed 98. Um, I, I enjoyed Sammy Sosa. Sammy Sosa, by the way, in this does not, they try and get him to go there to say, I'm sorry, I took PEDs. Mm-hmm. He, he did not. He does not. He, he has never done that. Um, but I really believe that he wants to get back in good graces with the Cubs. I don't know if that will ever happen. Though. So if, if the owners and, and players don't resume uh, talks and, and get on the field here for this abbreviated 2020, is the plan in 2021 to hand out syringes and bedding sheets? Should we just allow both? Well, I, I think at this point, um, baseball is teetering. Uh, it's it's in a it's in a bad spot right now with a relationship, and I, I don't know what's going to save it. Um, you know, I'm I'm afraid of 2022 that there could be no baseball mm. because of a CBA that expires next year. It's baseball is in a bad spot right now, and it. it it was in a bad spot leading up to this, and a pandemic has only made it worse when you figure, when people are getting uh, enlightened to the owners and the players, the just absolute distrust between mm-hmm. each other. And it's really, really bad right now. And I, and I think people, as they saw the latest proposal yesterday, are like, okay, I moved on. I got, I got, I got more stuff going on in my life right now to, to pay attention to billionaires and millionaires arguing. Gary Sharps with us, the Iron Horse, Hale Varsity Radio. Gary, uh, you, you grew up around the Iowa program. Uh, Kirk Ferentz has been uh, at the helm for a number of years. He has made that program uh, someone to deal with in the Big Ten. Your reaction to his presser, and how do you think things move forward with the Iowa program and the effect it may have on this season? Well, I think think they made the right steps. Um, You're also seeing this at Texas. You saw this at Clemson. This is going to start to happen around college campuses as student-athletes, whether they're on campus or they've left the program to bigger and better things, they're going to have a voice, and you've got to make sure your house is in order. And in this case, there were a lot of things about Iowa's house that none of us knew about that were really, really bad behind the scenes. I give credit to Kirk Ferentz. You know, here's a guy that's going to be 65 years old. He's going in 22nd year as a head coach of Iowa. Um, a lot of the stuff he didn't know was going on, and I truly believe that. Because you look at the former players that spoke out last week, maybe one or two included the head coach. 
mostly it was the strength coach and, and, and other personnel. But I think I like how he handled it. I listened to the press conference yesterday, and some people were upset that he only took a few questions. He did the right thing. People don't want to hear from the head coach right now. This is about the player's voice at Iowa. This is about the player's voice in athletics. They have a voice. We need to listen to their concerns and how we make it better for them, especially if you're the athletic director or the coach. And I think, I think Kirk Ferentz said it uh, really, really well. You know, they put together a leadership group for this upcoming season. I don't know what's going to happen with Iowa. You know, you could say, hey, I wish, there was a, I wish the season was right next month so we could get going and this would be a bonding experience. Or you say, man, this could just rip our locker room apart. Um, I'd be very curious to see what happens in Iowa City. There's no way they're bringing back uh, Chris Doyle. But I think in the meantime, they can take the appropriate steps to, to, to start some healing. But you never know when's that next shoe going to drop. I hear that parents of former players are getting together, and they're going to come out possibly this weekend with some allegations, which will not, that'll just add a little fuel to the fire. Uh, I think Kirk Ferentz right now is, is safe um, because if you can ask the question out loud, and this is with any coach, whether it be Tom Herman or Dabo Sweeney, um, are they part of the solution? And in this case, I believe that Kirk Ferentz is, but this is going to be a struggle for the Iowa football program. You already know that there will be people that recruit against Iowa that will be bringing this up, especially the parents. Hey, do you feel safe sending your kid to Iowa City? So this is a moment in Kirk Ferentz's career at Iowa um, this might be this might be the biggest part of his legacy there, but right now I think he is the guy that can be the solution because he's making the smart decision to let the players talk. More players talking, less head coach talking. Gary Sharp's with us. Okay, with Doyle, yeah, he isn't going to be back. Does it reach Kirk's own son, Brian Ferentz? And there's a lot of opinions out there about Brian, but when push comes to shove, uh, Iowa's offenses at times have been pretty explosive uh under under his watch that's just the 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 job side of it but as far as how he's treated people there's been some insinuation by former players and a former player's mother uh, about some comments does he survive or is he safe well i think that's that's a fair question schmitty uh you know and and people may hear some of the stuff that chris doyle said and said well what I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. Well, there's some old school stuff, some Woody Hayes, some Bobby Knight things. You yeah. know, that changed pretty quickly. Um, some of the stuff that Chris Doyle was saying and doing, you can't say that. You can't say that then. You can't say that now. And if, if, that's, if that's how you operate, you've got to change your game. Because times are changing, as we have seen rapidly in this country in the last two weeks. Now to Brian Ferentz. Um, what this does, definitely do, in my opinion, there's no way he's the heir apparent to his dad as the head coach at Iowa. Exactly. You know, this is the first time. This isn't the first time that, that people have spoken out about him. Noah Fant's family spoke out about him, and they should have. Look at the big games in Noah's last year in Iowa City. He wasn't even on the field. Um, so I would watch that situation pretty closely. Um, what happens with him? Because I think there's a lot of trust that has been lost in uh, the offensive coordinator. And you know, when your dad's the head coach. Your dad has to step back and say, hey, anything dealing with my son probably has to go through the athletic director, and it should. Well, and, and I, I mean, Sharp, you, you hit on it, man. It's like Fant is a incredible athlete, talent, first-round guy, 
and it's like they only went to, to Fant when they had to. And that's how I felt versus just beating up teams with him. I mean, you had him at Hawkinson. That's a hell of a one-two punch. And what was your read on, on, on Noah's treatment in, within the offense? I mean, because I, I, I've been waiting for, for Noah to, to say a little bit more about his time because it, it sounded like he just kind of got put in timeout, and, and he's too good a player to – to have that happen to him. And I know this is in the past, but, I mean, it's it's a Nebraska connection, so I'm interested uh, to, to to hear his experience in a greater well, detail. And and, uh, and I've interviewed him about this, and he's very smart. I mean, he's on to the NFL now, uh, and he's not going to go there. Mm-hmm. I think that he was – I think even he was surprised by moments during his last year, big moments, where he was not on the field or he wasn't even considered – to be part of, you know, the, the final plays. And that really took him back. I, you know, Noah, Noah is somebody who really keeps to himself. Um, he's a good teammate. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know. He had, it just seemed like he did not have a great relationship with his offensive coordinator. Um, and it wasn't just the not, not having him in the game on key situations. I think they just had a difference of opinion. But I, I credit Noah. You know, Noah's not going to go there. Noah's in the NFL now. He's a professional um, I think for the most part, he would say he enjoyed his time in three years at Iowa. But when you have when you have big names, guys speaking out, it wasn't it wasn't this past weekend just fourth and fifth string guys. It was some major players in that program that spoke out, and that's when you I mean you you have to listen. Period. But when guys that have some cachet and have some skin in the in the program, you got to lend an extra ear. And so I'm. I'm very curious to watch now what we go through the weekend and, and where Iowa football goes, if they heal or if they get shredded. You know, keep an eye on if players stay in the program or they move on. But I will say there's a couple of players that spoke yesterday. I was very impressed. I think they're very mature. They, they are going to take over this team. So that will be definitely probably a player-led team in 2020 in Iowa City. And we'll see if it makes them stronger or if uh, this is uh, the beginning of the end. Gary Sharp, a couple more minutes with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Sharpie, let's uh, turn our attention to Nebraska. Got some closure on, on Spielman on Monday. Uh, a thought on that. Also, Nebraska, Barrett Rood, Coach Janander, they continue to, to reshape the linebackers. And uh, a couple of linebacker commits this week. Uh, Schweitzer, the latest. Love his frame. And... When you when you look at what Nebraska, what what do you think Nebraska wants most at linebacker? Is it size? Is it length? Is it speed? Kind of touch on on this uh, this renovation project they're doing on the outside and in the middle at the backer spot. Now you're right, Schmidt. They, they've rebuilt that linebacker room since they showed up on campus, and they needed to. You got to have some near elite linebacker play to win divisions in the Big Ten. We see that in Wisconsin. We see that with Ohio State. Uh, I like what they're doing. I think when you're looking at the inside guys, you want guys that can play in space and, and you know, be able to have really good football IQ and be able to move laterally. Um, then on the outside, you know, we've seen it. There is a trend. There is a model. You want size and length, guys that can get off, that have those long arms, that can go and get the passer. And I like their two pickups, Seth Malcolm last week and then Will Schweitzer the other day. I think they fit exactly what Nebraska is looking for. I think it's a good sign. It shows you another part of, we know that Barrett Rude, what he's doing in recruiting. And remember, Barrett's a good recruiter, but he's still very young in recruiting. So he's, he's 
you know, you can't make a final statement on him. Um, Eric Sanander is really showing how aggressive he's become in recruiting. It's not just the state of Iowa. Um, he's doing a really good job recruiting. You don't necessarily get that out of coordinators. So that's promising moving forward. But Nebraska identified, hey, we got to rebuild the linebacker room, and they have done that. Um, and I think they've made strides. And I think this is the curious year with the, the experience they have in that room and some of the young guys that they've sprinkled in, whether it be junior college guys or freshmen, if they can get going. But they have a lot of talent right now on that roster at linebacker. It's just talent that either has not played a lot or has not fully produced. Um, but, you know, I think guys like Miller and Honus in the middle and then Doman and Henry on the outside, mm-hmm. I think that would be your starting four to start. Um, but they're going to have some depth. And Mike Dawson, I think, will make uh, a, a big impact. Uh, with J.D. Spielman, I knew, I, knew we were, I knew he wasn't coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't lose sleep over it. It, it is what it is. Um, difference of opinion. Um, you know, it's a mutual separation. People can just sit back, relax, and focus on the guys they have in the wide receiver room now. Uh, people get triggered the next time he announces where he's going to go to play. I'm not so certain he will continue to play football. Mm-hmm. If he said, I'm done playing football, I wouldn't be surprised. I think he'll end up somewhere, and he's got a good – He's got a good case for a waiver. If like he wanted to stay home like he did before he picked Nebraska and go to Minnesota. He left Nebraska due to health re- uh, mental health mm-hmm. reasons, and we're in the middle of a pandemic. You put that on the, the uh, desk of an NCAA person in the clearinghouse, I think they're going to rubber stamp that. But I'm not sure what J.D.'s going to do. And you know what? You know this, Schmitty? None of us know what J.D. is going <laughs> to do. He just, he just that kind of that kind of person. So we wish him well, but... You know, Nebraska, I think, is okay in the wide receiver room, and, and it's, t- it's a tough loss because of his production, but I think there are other benefits of moving forward uh, without number 10. Last thoughts, Sharpie, on, on Spielman, on Williams, on McQuitty. They got trolled this week on social media. They ended up responding, and, and y- y- you preach taking the high road with criticism, but it, it, apparently they'd had enough, and... Um, I was, I was surprised that they responded, but I don't blame them for responding on social media to someone trolling them and calling them out. Well, and we've all talked about this. Stop tweeting at players and recruits. Mm. Uh, and in this case, you don't know the whole story. So, so why, you know, and that's where Twitter can be a cesspool. <laughs> and, you know, you got those three guys that, that chimed in, um, Move on, okay? It, it, it is what it is. Guys, the wide receiver room has been a mess for two years at Nebraska. It hasn't been coached very well. It has just been a hodgepodge of players. Really good wide receivers have gone into the wide receiver room in the last couple of years, and they've never come out. It's like a black hole. Uh, Nebraska addressed that in the offseason. They love Matt Lubick. The wide receivers, I think, will respond well to Matt Lubick. They'll be taught a little bit better. At some point, you admit, hey, it was a mistake. Two years of Troy Walters running the wide receiver room, it just was not a fit at Nebraska like maybe it was a better fit when we were all together at Central Florida. We corrected that mistake. We're moving on. We brought talent into the wide receiver room. Here we go. Thank you to those guys that were in the program. Unfortunately, they never reached their, their peak of what we thought they were going to be, especially McQuitty, you know, before he got injured. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's where you have to take the high road. But, 
you know, you know how Twitter is. You know how social media is. There are idiots out there that think they have all the answers and they know all the inside scoop. They don't. And then when they get called out, what do they do? They hop into the fetal position and they disappear. So good on those guys for responding. But you know what? Better on Nebraska addressing their needs and moving forward and not getting caught up in all the outside noise. Gary Sharp, the Iron Horse. Sharp, you have a good weekend, man. Good to chat. And thanks for a few minutes, bud. Hey, thanks, Schmitty. Thanks, Elijah. Take care. There he is, Gary Sharp, the Iron Horse, Hale Varsity Radio. Reminder about uh, drinking and driving. One out of three fatal crashes involves an impaired driver. Driving drunk, buzzed, or high, never acceptable. Law enforcement officers working around the clock to stop with sobriety checkpoints and saturation patrols. As a driver, make that correct choice. A non-alcoholic drinker, have a pre-selected designated driver. Be smart. Start the conversation. Who's driving home? Brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. Good stuff this morning, man. We covered a lot. I know we spent a little more time on baseball and the Cubs, but why not? Pretty uh, intriguing 30 for 30 tomorrow night. And uh, lots of good stuff on Nebraska. Awesome info from Sharpie on Iowa. I uh, like to talk in some ball with uh, Vogel, and you're going to want to hear the Jerry DiNardo interview. We talked to Uncle Jerry on Thursday and uh, re-aired that for you this morning. And uh, a couple of places you can get the podcast, HaleVarsity.com or iTunes. iTunes, uh, you can download that for free. Give us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, the on-demand stuff, uh, it's easy to pull up the interviews you'll want espnlincoln.com and Elijah's been a warrior all week getting that stuff posted as well to uh, the ESPN Lincoln Twitter handle so all of that so are you uh, you, you're gonna just enjoy a a non-radio day tomorrow you've been cranking out consecutive days here with uh, Damon on vacation I mean I, you're, you're back Wednesday you and Damon yeah. got the uh, the old driver's seat I, think it's, I like my job I like coming in and doing this so uh in the grand scheme of things, I've worked other jobs in my past, and I, I never feel like apprehensive and like, oh man, I gotta go to work. You gotta freaking go to work, yeah. I gotta go talk for two hours. Oh man, like I, I can handle it. So, uh, will I enjoy the day off? I'm sure I will, but it's not like it's it's like I'm gonna be dreading Monday. You got yard work or what? I mean, we'll see what's coming up this weekend. I, I do think I gotta mow the lawn. But now that it's getting kind of the, the hot days of summer, going to give my lawn a break and start mowing a little less, letting it go a little longer. So I'll probably a, a mow this weekend. Maybe I'll just water the grass, though. All right. I, I need to, like, absolutely bomb the uh, the back my backyard. I was trying to sit out last night on the patio. I was watching a little TV. And I, I was out there, poured a drink. It was wonderful. But I, we had the, the, the candle going that's supposed to keep the, the freaking – West Nile a-holes away. Mm. I need to figure out something to just keep mosquitoes out. And I don't have standing water in my backyard. I'll, I'll send you... My dad's got, like, these little homemade little things. That you fill them and you burn them, and it works yeah. pretty well. He's, right. got, he's got, like, six of them. You got I guess I could just turn the smoker on. That also would work. We'll talk to you Monday at uh, 4. Thanks for tuning in to Hale Varsity.